Welcome to Soul Practice, Raw Conversations, Real Practices. I'm Phyllis Mathis. And I'm Kathy Escobar. And I always say it, but it's true. We love playing with friends. And so this is actually the first time that Phyllis met my friend Amber Cantorna Wild. Um, but I feel so grateful to have her on today. And Amber is an author and a community cultivator, LGBT advocate and um, pushing us to better health. That's how I think of you, mm-hmm. like pushing us to better health. And that's what we need. And that comes from our real stories and our uh, the wisdom that we learn along the way and being bold about it. And mm-hmm. so um, we're so happy to have you here today. Thanks so much. I love hearing that. Pushing us towards better health. What a beautiful way to do life. Yeah, it really is. And we've all changed in the circle of the three of us and then everyone mm-hmm. listening. All of us are not who we used to be. <laughs> thank God for that, right? An, uh, yes, thank God is right. And that's an understatement. And so Amber, so I first met Amber, oh gosh, I think it was through some other church, progressive churchy people. Um, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't. Somebody asked me that recently and I couldn't remember either. I was like, I don't know. We go back a ways. I know. But I do know that Amber came and shared at the refuge. So she has three books um, out. And her second book is a book. It's called Unashamed, um, a coming out guide for LGBT Christians, LGBTQ Christians. And I have given it and passed it on as a resource to so many people, Amber. Um, grownups and parents and everything in between. So it's a great resource. But her new book, which just came out last month, is that right? Uh, yes, it was the very end of October. Yeah, very end of October. So this, this episode will be airing in um, early January. It's called Out of Focus, My Story of Sexuality, Shame, and Toxic Evan- Evangelicalism. So sexuality, shame, and toxic evangelicalism. So you're on the right podcast. (laughs) (laughs) They kind of go together, don't they? I was just going to say, or we could just call it evangelicalism. (laughs) That would be too snarky. Which produces so much shame. Yeah, it does. It does. And so Jose and I had the honor of being down at Amber's um, book launch out in Colorado Springs. And I moderated a conversation. It was an amazing evening. And I need you to know, Amber, that Jose was like, that was so good. Mm. I got he got so much out of it. I got so much out of it, and so we're just happy to have you here. So glad. And so a lot glad. of people listening might not know about your story, and so we just love kind of like it's hard to like encapsulate it. Um, but I think if you could just open us, it's just a little bit about who you are, what you came out of. And, um, and then we'll, we'll launch a little bit more into the book and some more, some more of these three important things that are in the subtitle. Sure. So, um, I guess the backdrop for people that aren't familiar is that I grew up in Colorado Springs, which is kind of the epicenter for a lot of mega church and evangelical ministries. Um, but it wasn't just that I grew up kind of in that environment. It was that my dad uh, is the executive producer of Adventures and Odyssey um, at Focus on the Family. So I really, really grew up in the heart of Focus on the Family, in the heart of this, uh, what we would now call toxic evangelicalism. Uh, but of course, didn't know that at the time. Uh, it was just all that I knew and all that I was raised to be. 
And so my world was very small and void of any kind of diversity. And it was very much centered around everything um, that James Dobson and and Christians as a whole, um, evangelical Christians believe. I was homeschooled all the way. I was in church every time the doors were open. Um, you know, my dad was in this prominent position and, and still is. I mean, he's been there for 35 years. He's been there since almost the very beginning of Focus um, and was one of the original creators of Adventures and Odyssey. So that those principles were so deeply embedded in our home, in our family, in our values, in my upbringing. And um, I was very heavily influenced by purity culture and uh, that kind of culmination of things um, kind of hid my sexual orientation from me until I was in my early 20s and dealt with a lot of shame, um, even even before I really knew that I was gay, uh, dealt with a lot of shame and uh, depression and anxiety and things that just kind of spiraled because I had suppressed my identity and suppressed my feelings for so long. And so it just kind of continued to compound over time. And then of course, when I did realize I was gay, it just felt like this uh, huge division inside of me because it was the one thing you were never allowed to be. And having to feel like you were at this ultimatum of making a choice between your faith and your sexuality. Um, and that just tore me apart, um, trying to navigate that journey with really very little resources, you know, at the time, because this was almost 15 years ago. Um, and so we didn't have a lot of the resources that we have available today. Um, so it was very hard to kind of navigate that journey and come to terms and at peace with who I was. And when I finally did do that um, and came out to my family, it went exactly as you would imagine it to go for an experience from, from my upbringing. And so they basically, um, you know, they compared me to murderers and to pedophiles and said, how selfish of you to do this to our family. Um, how dare you do this? If, if you're suicidal, that's your own fault because it's the consequence of your own sin. Um, and they asked for the keys to their house back. And so it just, our, our relationship immediately shifted a full 180 and just never recovered. Um, it just deteriorated over a period of months um, and then just came to a complete halt in um, October of 2014. And so that's been, you know, a, a good bit now, <laughs> a good while, and I've had no contact with my family since. Yeah. Uh, so that's the nutshell. You... That's the nutshell version. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, clearly there's so much there, but I I'm always so shocked. Um, I know it happens all the time that people's families are just like, oh, you're done, you're dead to us, or whatever, some version of that. But it's always a shock to think that you could do that to a child, you know, a, a child that you gave birth to and raised in your family. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I couldn't understand say it. They said, we feel like you died. They said that to me. It's just so wrong. It's just so wrong, but that's what that culture breeds. Mm-hmm. The shame, the fear, the exclusion of, you know, who's out and who's in, 
um, and what it takes to be in and kind of the idea of teaching the unconditional love of God, but not really practicing it. Unconditional, unconditional under these conditions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very much. It's, it's kind of a really, really kind of a like. mock on honestly. And I, um, to, I have a very personal question to ask you, um, if that's all right. I mean, you know, but, um, I, I can imagine the culture if you're, if you're in the culture of focus on the family and that bubble, um, how was it for you, uh, being you before you knew that you were gay or did you struggle? Um, did you have like secret attractions that you struggled with? Or were you kind of unconscious of any of that the whole time because you're busy trying to be the daughter you were supposed to be? Like, what was that like for you? And then what were some of your first, like, I can't imagine waking up to the fact of who you really are in that context and then what it would take to be able to say that to yourself first mm-hmm. and then to other people so I think it was a little bit of both of those because looking back now I can see those attractions that I had to a lot of my friends you know that my friends were having to boys and I was having it with my friends but I didn't have that exposure or vocabulary to understand what was happening. And so I was largely blind to the fact because I was so deeply steeped in purity culture and this idea that if you just did the right things and pleased God with your life, your knight in shining armor was going to come in on a white horse and take you to happily ever after. Yes. So I never dated at all. I had a big purity ceremony when I was 13. Oh, okay where all my family was present, my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents, like everybody was there for this like coming of womanhood ceremony. I signed on the dotted line that I would save sex for marriage and put this purity ring on my wedding finger. And I wore it for a decade, completely believing everything that I had signed up for. So when I then got in my early twenties, it wasn't until I, I, basically fell in love with my female roommate Okay, that I had this, I call it my epiphany of horror. (laughs) Like this waking up, but like the, Oh no, you know, like that. Oh shit moment of this is not what's supposed to be happening. This is not who I'm supposed to be. And I couldn't talk to anybody about it. Um, And so feeling very isolated and alone and trying to navigate what was happening when I never had been given any tools to even know anything about the queer community. Um, And again, the lack of resources at the time uh, made it very difficult. And so, I mean, for me personally, it was a combination of therapy, um, of of doing a little dating, because I had never done that, Mm -hmm. um, of being able to do a little bit of the theology work because that was obviously important to me. Okay. Um, and then I think the biggest turning point was when I found an affirming faith community for the first time. 
And I walked in those doors and I saw with my own eyes it was possible to be queer and a person of faith. And that was my like point of no return because I realized um, there were people, couples there that had been together for 20, 25 years mm. and were, you know, coming to church together and they were equally in love with each other and, and with God. And like, and so that was like the, that moment, that light bulb moment of what I needed to be able to accept who I was and move forward and find peace. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you had the support that you had when you needed it. And I'm glad you had a therapist to help you with some of that because, oh my goodness, realizing that you're not who you thought you were or who you mm-hmm. tried to be. And then but when that uh, realization hits, I mean, you could call it hits, explodes, seeps in. I mean, there's just so many different ways for that realization to become real, but mm-hmm. it can be a dangerous time. Very much so. It had a drastic impact on my mental health. Um, I had already struggled a lot growing up with depression and anxiety, some PTSD, some behaviors that stemmed from just this stuffing of emotions continually because emotions weren't well expressed in our home. Um, It was kind of expected that you would always be happy and show up with a smile. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't room for the expression of emotions. And I learned to stuff that very young and it just compounded over time. And so by the time then that I reached my teens, I was self-harming. And then when I did come out, you know, to myself, there was again, a dark spiral of, um, of all those things that brought me to the point of suicide and just feeling like there was no light at the end of the tunnel for me. So it definitely, I think identity suppression drastically affects your mental health, um, and, and your physical health. Um, yeah. I now live with chronic illness. And I think a lot of that is in part because of the identity suppression and the amount of trauma I've gone through. Yeah. The thing that takes to split, like what it takes in our body to split. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, so many of us listening, I know this, this part to different degrees, not everybody who listens came from these systems, but um, I do know my kids listen to soul practice. And I just, we've done a lot of repair over the work, the years of mm-hmm. being in a system. We totally listen to adventures and odyssey. That was like a thing. We went and did the focus on the family tours, Mm -hmm. gave them money. Yeah. And I supported family resource. uh, What is that called? Yeah. Research council. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were in that system. I do always say like, not to some degree of some others that I know, but it doesn't matter because any part of it is damaging. And so I'm so grateful that we got out, but and have tried to make our amends. But mm-hmm. it's just so bizarre to me to this day. I've been out a long, long time. Like how strong the culture is. Like it's Still so is. strong. Yeah. And like I look around our circle, like Phyllis, you're like a really smart person. Amber, <laughs> you're a really smart person. I'm a really smart person. And you know, it is different in like growing up. So you're younger than we are. When I got in, I chose to get in, mm. which is even more bizarre when I look at it. 
like I was out. I came from a really like wild, like inclusive, progressive mm-hmm. family. You know, that was kind of my background. And I like ended up there. And how <laughs> yes, how fast the culture just tells you who you are. And mm-hmm. then but the split for me is was really real. And um the my work has been over the years is to become one person instead of two. Mm-hmm. And um, I, when I hear you share about um, your, the toll on your mental health and your body, your physical health, just the reality, I just love to hear more about coming into your body and coming into your full self, like kind of what it's been like and what you keep learning about, like basically shedding this toxic evangelicalism that got in you. I think it's one of the most beautiful parts of the journey Um, because yes, there's been a lot of loss. There's been a lot of grief. There's been a lot of deprogramming, but the, the life and the, the freedom that you find outside that small box that you lived in um, is such a liberating place to be when you finally give yourself permission um, or somebody else perhaps gives it to you to, to question and to wonder and to doubt and to not have the answers and to not have it all figured out for the very first time. Um, it's equal parts in the beginning, I think equal parts, terrifying and freeing. Um, but the further out that you step, I think the more you embody that freedom and so being able to kind of shed those layers of, of shame um, around so many things, because the, the belief system of evangelicalism is so all-consuming. It affects every facet of your life. And so when you, when you get to start looking at things differently and, and questioning and thinking for yourself and being able to kind of, I feel like I didn't really... Like, I feel like I found myself and I came alive the day I came out. Mm. Um, but to really like start knowing who I was, I feel like still took several years of work after that because it was still also new to me to really like move into this direction that had been off limits for so long and um, to settle into that. And I think also just by nature of the work that I do with advocacy and with community healing and, you know, and writing for queer people, um, it helps just solidify your identity that much more. And now I think it's a beautiful thing to um, think outside the box and to have different practices and to incorporate faith in different ways than the way you were brought up. It just, it's all aspects of diversity that enrich our lives and make us more whole. And I think it's one of the greatest gifts that we have, um, like post deconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like so much loss at first, but, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I imagine you're still surprised sometimes. I know I am just from, I've been an ex evangelical for a long time now. Um, and I still get to a place where I look back and go, Oh, that's how that felt when I was inside that box. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels so much more constricted than mm-hmm. 
I feel now. And even the fear of being free and the fear of being, mm -hmm. you know, completely embodied and completely mm -hmm. um, whole without checking. <laughs> to yeah. see, without you know, filtering. And filtering. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I keep saying this, but I, I think that the kind of Calvinistic evangelical um, foundation of that kind of theology and idea is sort of, uh, we're screwed from the very beginning mm -hmm. because it, it really puts a wedge between you and yourself, your, your mm -hmm. authentic self mm -hmm. right away, because mm -hmm. there is no such thing as an authentic self you know, God tells you who you are and you give all that up and, you know, all of that, it kind of puts that wedge in your identity from the very beginning. And, um, and so, so that war inside yourself is, is there. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that holds it together. Yeah. And how so, damaging that is. Yeah. And for queer people that internalized homophobia that takes root so early that then becomes part of who you who you are but like who you how you see the world and how you see yourself and you're being programmed to hate yourself yeah um, so there is this huge division that happens and um the heart is deceitful above all things and you can't trust yourself and you know as a woman you have to trust men and you, like all those messages that are given to us um, that separate us from our true self. Um, it, it takes, I think, a long time to kind of remember the dismemberment that's happened. Um, yeah. but I think it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing when it does. Yeah. It's like that really is the work, you know, mm -hmm. the work really is, you know, we were taught the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things, like that fundamental thing that just, uh, just like even saying it, mm -hmm. now, but it's cringe inside. <laughs> yes, it's horrible. And um, and I I remember a moment where I was um holding a kid, and this is when we were in like a super super Calvinist church, and just like going, I'm sorry, I can't look at this and say this is something that was born bad and wicked. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, I got so much shit from it. So this is like a thing, even though I was in, you know, I was kind of pushing on things because some of it just did not make sense. It just didn't make sense. And I wasn't raised in it, but like the culture. And then the interesting part of it is then they were like, yeah, you know, you just really, you don't really know. Like you're just learning. You're new to all mm -hmm. this. And making you doubt yourself again. Yeah. Exactly. It's total gaslighting. Yes. And so we're like totally gaslighted. And uh, so then in that, um, that, that basic like core thing when we're bad. And then I think what you just said is so significant about uh, queer people and like that, this message in evangelicalism and the threat, honestly, that we're experiencing in our culture right now, that even mm -hmm. though it's come a long way, it is so not yeah. And it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And so then that other layer, we already have a basic one that we're terrible. And then you have another layer that you're extra terrible. And um, it just leads to so much harm. It just makes me want to scream, yeah. honestly. And it's so sad. And I think the part that I'm just also really struck with is like, 
it's not an out there issue. It's not this something, this theological argument or this thing up on the surface. It is talking about people's real lives and it's life and death. Mm-hmm. And that piece, like no matter what, just because it seemed to like seep through, but because you were raised in Colorado Springs in this culture that is, was harmful and toxic. And then you have been, you got out and then live with the reality of parents who really would choose their religion mm-hmm. and their faith over their little precious, beautiful baby girl. Just makes me cry. It's terrible. It's terrible. And then the other thing is that that culture then harms gay people all over the place, you know, like in so many different ways. And Club Q happened in Colorado Springs. And it's amazing, like at your book book um, release, this video that you made, and it's in the book. And just like, tell us more about that, like being there and the reality of the sign, you know, focus on the family is their blood is on your hands that someone put on there. And just kind of what, what that's all sort of been like for you. Well, I had just moved back to Colorado Springs when Club Q happened. And to me, it felt like this hate and toxic rhetoric coming full circle um, because the teachings that focus on the family propagate that tell queer people they are bad, that tell people, that tell parents to disown their kids over it. It's breaking family systems apart rather than holding them together. And it it perpetuates this message of hate and homophobia and transphobia that leads to these massacres that are happening. Um, It's it's not by accident, It's, it's coming full circle. And so several days after Club Q happened, someone spray painted on Focus on the Family's property, their blood is on your hands, five lives taken. Um, and I think when that happened, to me, it felt, because of my story, it felt very critical to my spirit to speak loud and clear about what was happening and to call out these institutions um, that are complacent and complicit and doing harm to queer people in the name of God and calling it love because it's actually causing death. Well, can we talk about that sneaky little love bit? Because um, I, I pre, I was in the, well, I remember when focus of the fam- in the, on the family first came on the air. So I was a parent then of really mm-hmm. small children. And so, um, and then um kind of was on the fringe of the, I never did reparative therapy, but um, that, that whole thing. And then the love wins um, Mm -hmm. movement, it focused on the family Mm -hmm. and then the Exodus movement and Mm -hmm. all of, all of that. Um, It's, it's even more of a crazy mind fuck because it's like, you can't be gay. And because that's terrible. But the good news is you don't have to be like, so the good news was God loves you enough to help you change. So Mm -hmm. it's, so yeah, now that, now that you take that layer off, it's like, that's really damaging and hateful to a human who's, who 
is who they are. Mm -hmm. But it's even a little more crazy making when you layer on that, that layer of, but we have good news. You don't have to stay that way. You know, Mm -hmm. God can heal you Mm -hmm. or you can be healed from this terrible thing that you feel you are in your, in your body. So um, in my mind, that's a particularly diabolical little twist there because it's like everybody is gaslighting each other and themselves because mm-hmm. we love you so much, but we don't know why you're choosing this, you know? Yeah. Um, n- not everybody gets that harsh. You're done. It's more like, well, why would you, why would you choose this? Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. So it makes it all more crazy for so many people. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that was the stance of my parents. Like they wanted me to have gone to love one out or to one of those conferences where they could have helped me. Right. Um, and thankfully I was smart enough at that point to know better. Yeah. <laughs> but it's equally toxic to tell someone that they have to be celibate. that they can't be in a relationship um because it's again taking away that primal need of of love and belonging and you know partnership and telling them they have to live alone and that that's better than you know well it's better than going to hell so you just my dad told me he's like i'd rather you be alone in this life than be alone in the next yeah number That is just rotten. I'm sorry. It is rotten. rotten. But I know because I've heard those phrases. Yeah. I have heard those phrases. And there's billboards and the school that we were affiliated with. Like they said shit like that. Like you've turned your back on God and everything we ever taught you. Yeah. Like having to choose between who you, who you, you experience yourself to be and your eternity internal eternal relationship and life with god mm-hmm. um choose one or the other um as if those two things could not be the same or as if you had a choice as if you had a matter yeah. yeah as if you as if you could change either one exactly yeah so one of the things that i love about you and i think that this is a piece that i just have watched with so much respect is that you're making it you're making it. And it's really hard to do. It's really hard to be who we are. And, and this is across all, every part of the human experience. This is for everybody listening. We all have our different ways that we have been harmed by our families and the systems that we were part of, even if they weren't faith systems. There's just so much, there's just so much hard, mm-hmm. like truly like coming into who we are and staying on that course and respecting that it's not going to drop out of the sky. <laughs> like we're going to have to show up and um, love ourselves enough to find ways to be loved, you know, and mm-hmm. like it's, it's this weird thing. And so I just watching you grow in the in the time that I've known you, which is maybe about five or six years, maybe something in that range. And then seeing this book come out and I just want to make a pitch to, for everyone who's listening to get a copy because it's really good. It's just really her story. And there's so many things. I know multiple people who have read it and they're like, 
oh my gosh, this was me. This was my family. This was, you know, me, you know, on my knees praying to God out of devotion, like purity culture. And then how it's like really jacking up my marriage now, like so Mm -hmm. many different things that in the people that I've talked to have connected with. So you have your healing and healing is a lifelong work. Mm -hmm. I would just love to hear like some of the things that you're learning about you and you're learning maybe in you travel with a lot of people. And so what is like some of the things that people are learning along the way, especially in the LGBT community, but not mutually exclusive, like just what is helping, what's helping you and what's helping others. I think community, when you can find it, is deeply healing. Um, And for me, that's kind of been in seasons. You know, like I've had some seasons of great community and some seasons that have been a lot more isolating. But I think the seasons that we do find community with people that have walked a similar path, I think that is deeply healing because it does reduce that isolation of feeling alone in your struggle. And that kind of me too, you know, um, finding each other and, and realizing that you're, you are on the same journey of, of healing, of deconstructing, of belonging, of all these things. So I think community is one of the most healing things. Um, I think over the last few years, I've done a number of different practices that have kind of um, healed me in different ways. I've taken some pottery classes and I've walked labyrinths and I've visited the ocean and sat on the sand and these kind of things that um, feel embodied, they're tactile, they're, they're outdoors, they're, you know, those kind of things have brought healing to me. Um, Like you said, healing is a a lifelong work and there's so much that, that is still to be done even within me, you know? So um, I think it's just, it's just a continual process and, and finding different avenues towards healing that change and evolve over time. But um, but those different practices that just bring little bits of life amidst the hard. Were you going to say something, Phyllis? Uh, no, I was just, well, I kind of did want to, I, I was... I wanted to say, I wish everybody could see you, uh, in this, you know, because you just have a kind of a radiant um, vitality that um, is pretty clear you, that you see with people who, who are, I don't know, being who they are in the moment and, uh, and feeling free and, and breaking out into a place of, of larger being. And uh, it's really uh, clear to see it's, it's beautiful really yeah it really is I'm so glad that you met and um, Amber is actually going to be doing an event hosted through the refuge on January 31st on zoom so anybody can come it's an open event and um, we're going to be all on Zoom. No one will be in the refuge. We'll just all be virtual. And so this will be a chance to hear more and to flesh out more and to have more time. And so I really just want to encourage anyone that wants to join us. It's an open invite to the refuge. You can check it out. And I am just really glad that you two finally met each other. Yeah. Um, because yeah. in in 
sort of real life. Face to face ish, sort of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, so um, is there anything last thing that either of you want to add before we do our last question you can think of? Well, not without launching into another 20 minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. This yeah. It's the hardest part about this format, but I know it's the right thing. And um, again, I know that those of you listening, you can join in and um, into our gathering. It'll be like more workshoppy, interactive style. Um, would love to have you come. I think it's, I can't remember for 6.30, I think, mountain time. So people can come from different time zones. Um, but one of the things that we always do as we um, wrap up is we just, this is soul work and this is practice. Like that's, this, it couldn't be more relevant really. Um, and all of us who are listening in different ways, there's like something in what you shared today that we can pull in to our lives. And so just as we leave, you know, we always do like one little thought just to remember for everyone who's just trying to make it to trying to do this human thing, try to be less divided and more integrated. Just one little reminder for the soul and maybe a practice that helps with that. Mm. I think the reminder would be um, that you are worthy of love and belonging mm -hmm. and to love who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think the practice of that is um, the self-care. It's self-love. It's learning to love yourself. Um, and it's learning to set healthy boundaries that that protect your, your physical and mental health, your energy. Um, and that takes a lot of practice mm -hmm. to learn how to do that. But when you can, when you can set those boundaries that, that set you on a good path towards loving yourself, um, I think that is very healing in itself and brings a depth of, of freedom and belonging that um, is unmatched. Uh. So good. Love it. Phyllis, thought for the soul? Well, it's just always a reminder that um, it will go better for you if you can say yes to who you really are mm -hmm. instead of trying to fight it tooth and nail all the damn time. Um, because that's where life is. That's where wholeness is. And that's your authentic being is your soul. And the sooner we can... <laughs> We can come into connection and live and trust that the better we'll be always. Mm. Mm. So good. So on the practice side, I'm going to take a little, um, a little twist and just say that I think my practice on this is for all of us who are listening and recognizing the systems that we were in, in whatever ways, and just going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Uh, oh my gosh, to just offer ourselves self-compassion mm -hmm. and just go, yeah, no, that was really hard. It did a number on our head and it affected us. And yes, it's hard. Like that's the practice and to not go to shame 
mm-hmm. and not go to hatred and anger and, res- you know, mad at ourselves like that journey mm-hmm. to say, yeah, that was the system you were born into. It's the system I chose. It was really powerful system. You chose for, we chose it for a while mm-hmm. and now we're out. And so I think it's too, it's like self-compassion for where, how deep it goes. And then the second practice is celebrating the practice mm-hmm. of celebrating that we are not there anymore. And yes, there is loss, but there's so much more freedom. 100%. The math is bad. 100%. Everyone does better. (laughs) Yeah, everyone does better. 100%. 100%. And so, oh, so fun to play with you. So for anyone that... um, uh, is this is the first time that you've heard about Amber's work, go to her website. It's Amber Cantorna Wild with a Y. And if you just Google it, um, .com and go to her site, definitely follow. She posts a lot of good things. Um, look for that video that she shared at um, the book release because that, that video that you did at the beginning was so good. That's on my website. Okay, that's there. So go click on that, um, get the book, follow, and then come come play with us. And um, we come play with us on January 31st and um, learn some more. So thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. So great to have you. Yeah. So thanks for listening to Soul Practice. Um, We always love feedback and thanks for listening and um, shared human experience, all finding our way as best we can.